to another episode of the Rage Podcast. This is both the second episode of season five and the second part of our institutional justice series, where we will be discussing policing, gun violence, racial justice, and mass incarceration. I am joined today with two guests from New Yorkers Against Gun Violence, Shana Harrison and Frank Tia. Frank Tia is currently the program director of New Yorkers Against Gun Violence. He works on a small team tasked with adding to and implementing a gun violence prevention curriculum named Reaction throughout the many schools that New Yorkers Against Gun Violence partners with across New York City. Raised by immigrant parents who fled the Civil War in Liberia, he has always been analyzing and uncovering the root cause behind many issues in our society. Prior to New Yorkers Against Gun Violence, Frank taught a human rights course through the organization Global Kids. This class taught students about the importance of community, activism, and advocacy through global education. His time as an educator with Global Kids has taken him to Japan, Costa Rica, Colombia, Jamaica, and Panama to show his students that our communities extend further than our neighborhoods. Frank's goal was to equip all of his students with a keen understanding of how power dynamics shape people's experience everywhere and how they could use their knowledge and voices to help advocate for themselves and others. Frank hopes to provide all the young people he interacts with with learning experiences that are culturally relevant, responsive, and catered to maximizing their potential. Some of his efforts have been highlighted in The New Yorker. Shana Harrison, Director of Education, has designed, developed, and led New Yorkers Against Gun Violence Education Fund's Anti-Gun Violence Program for Youth, the Reaction Youth Education Program, since it was first launched in 2001. Since then, she has taught reaction to over 5,000 students, engaged youth in communities across New York City and throughout New York State, trained new facilitators within the NYC crisis management system, influenced a generation of anti-gun violence advocates, and emerged as a widely recognized and respected movement leader. Shana's strong connection to underserved communities of color and her talent for engaging with youth has made her a sought-after speaker and a highly effective classroom presence. Prior to working at the New Yorkers Against Gun Violence Education Fund, Shana was a certified mediator working with the Crown Heights Mediation Center, now called Neighbors in Action. She was also a crisis intervener and youth court coordinator with the Murray Bertram High School and Red Hook Community Justice Center. Shana holds a BA from John Jay College of Criminal Justice. This work has brought her to be featured in The New Yorker, CNN, New York Times, BET, and People Magazine. Now that you have learned a bit more about all of our speakers today, let's go ahead and dive into the episode. So what initially inspired and continues to drive your passion for your work in advocacy against gun violence? Well, again, my name is Shana Harrison. I'm the Education Director here at New Yorkers Against Gun Violence. Thank you so much for having um, both Frank and I and our organization. I started working at New Yorkers Against Gun Violence um, at a very young age. Um, Actually been working with the organization for well over 12 years. Yeah, when I started working at New Yorkers Against Gun Violence, again, I was a young person. And I think what kind of connected me to the organization was just the importance of centering the voice of young people um, for the organization. Um, Actually was asked to come and speak to a group of elected officials about why young people pick up guns. And in that conversation, there was 
pretty much young people who look like me, young people from my community, young people who had some of the same lived experiences as I. Um, and in that space, like we had such a honest um, and hard conversation about what causes young people to feel like guns protect them. And then we were able to kind of like create some recommendations and hand those recommendations over to elected officials. And I would just, I'm gonna just be honest and, and say that was the first time I actually felt that I was powerful. I actually felt that I could have changed my community. I actually felt that my experiences mattered. And you know what continues to connect me to this issue and also to this organization is the ability to give that to the young people that I work with, right? The ability to create spaces for young people to understand their own voices and the importance of the of it. Um, so you know, I think my own um, connection to the organization is extremely important for me to kind of like foster and create for other young people. So I'm just grateful to be able to do that here. Amazing. And Frank? I think I'll start with um, the reason social justice as a whole, um, I'm kind of I'm kind of interesting, right? Um, my parents um, are both from um, Liberia. Um, my mom my mom fled during the Civil War, right? Um, and growing up, I watched, I watched her struggle as an immigrant and also um, a woman of color, right? A black woman, right? So growing up, I was always, I was, I was wondering um, why things were the way they were and why communities didn't have what other communities had, right? And why have that impacted people's outcome and look on life, right? So um, I went to a high school that was centered around um, human rights and global citizenship, right? I went to, went to school for journalism. I initially um, wanted to write, but I think as a whole, my goal was just to learn about folks and tell their stories, right? Um, and, tell the, and tell others their stories. So I started working with an org um, named Global Kids in 2014. The goal, when we taught human rights, um, an international, kind of international, through international framework in high schools. Um, and the goal was really to help to uplift students in marginalized communities, right? Because I've seen in, the, in different places um, how, how much students just had a positive outlook on life in the future when um, they had their communities from the right where they have um, well-funded schools. So um, I always wonder um, what if our, com our communities had more of that, right? Then things would be a lot different. So the, the change to gun violence was kind of one of the same, right? Um, my, my goal was how different, um, how different ways that you're marginalized intersect um, and impact the outcome, right? So a lot of the root causes um, are the same. When you have um, disinvestment, right? When you have like, high levels of poverty, right? When you have um, over-policed neighborhoods and schools that aren't equitable, um, odds are um, your, your outlook on life um, isn't as isn't, isn't as as hopeful as those, as those who, who who come from a more privileged communities. So um, that's so that was my inception into um, the gun violence, the gun violence um, prevention, prevention field. Just just wanted to make sure that um, those who are marginalized um, know that it isn't it isn't them, right? There's systems that 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 persist that. That um that that were created to um, to keep them marginalized, right? And it is difficult, right? Um, but it also um is, is very possible um, to see a world bigger and, and more equitable than the one that we we we've been accustomed to. I think that's kind of a perfect segue in just looking at what does a holistic approach to ending gun violence look like. Awesome, right? So um I think at 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 the root, right? Um throughout the history um of the United States, right. We know that um, racism is real, right? Um, it's impacted um, the way that all of us move through move through this world, right? We've seen um, through our history, whether it's Jim Crow laws or, or whether it's redlining, there's been um, an, an, a really prevalent effort, right, to make sure that that folks stay um, stay kind of at the bottom. 
right? Um, so I think a holistic approach to gun violence is to making sure that um, communities um, are, are, they feel safe by being funded, right? Um, that means that housing is up-to-date and, and, and equitable, right? And affordable as well, right? It means that um, kids have all they need for school, right? Yeah. The schools are well funded of their textbooks and, and a plethora of different um, after school programs. Um, it means that um, summer programs um, aren't cut and already there to keep youth occupied. Um, so um, it means that folks communities have jobs, right? Um, because when you have jobs, you see um, rates of poverty and rates of incarceration um, lowered, right? So I think that if, if communities were, were funded, right, with everything that, that, that they needed, um, then um, we wouldn't see the same level of, of gun violence that we see, especially um, in, in black and brown um, communities where the homicide rate is far higher than, than it is in, in, in more affluent or suburban white communities. So I think a holistic look to gun violence is making sure that everyone has um, the basic necessities that they need to survive and thrive. Thank you. No, I, I definitely agree with that, Frank. I think one of the things that's really important for us as instructors um, of the reaction program is to really focus on root causes and understanding why guns are so prevalent in our communities and why you know people young people uh, specifically feel the need to pick them up right and when you have the when you ask those kinds of questions you realize that you know um, homelessness is, is an issue um, you know um, food deserts are an issue joblessness are an issue right when you really sit down and you think about root causes and you figure out real ways to address those things you'll start to see um, um, people thriving and you'll see, you know, uh, you know, less people um, picking up guns in the first place. So, you know, I think that even though we are a gun violence prevention organization, we understand root causes in real in a real way. And because of that, you'll see so much other work happening in our organization besides just specifically talking about guns. There was something that both of you had highlighted just the really kind of interdisciplinary assistance that's needed. Like we have the legislation side, we have people who are willing to facilitate these conversations within the school to get the conversation started. And there was something specifically, Shana, that you had said that I'd written down. If you had said that it gave you the ability to be to feel empowered, to feel seen. And so I was tying that kind of into the context of gun violence in that I was re I meant to pull up the quote and I was searching for it. But I believe that you had said in an interview that guns um, are often like the solution for powerlessness. Yes. And so that direct um, kind of opposite of empowerment instead of yes. that was just, I was just thinking immediately about that connection. Absolutely, yeah, no, it's absolutely true, right? I mean, ironically, we just went to a school this morning, me and my director, um, and we met with a group of young people who were really trying to get our program inside of their schools, right? But their principal was a dynamic um, um, young man, and he actually brought young people into the space, and we kind of like pitched to them our program was they were going to buy our curriculum. Like we pitched to them our program, and like this principal asked us really hard questions, um, and like had the young people ask really hard questions as well. And one of the really hard questions was, you know, um, around was around power right and like you know do you think a gun protects you know do you think a gun protects you and he said yes and this young person actually had two gun charges right and like so it's interesting to be in the spaces where young people actually pick up guns and the fact of the matter is he probably wouldn't be sitting across from me if he didn't have a gun during the time that he had a gun because it actually protected him Right. So how do you have that conversation with a young person who can literally say to you, because I had a gun is the reason why I'm still here. Right. Um, but I think we were able to kind of like go further 
um, um, in that conversation and talk about what that artificial power, that artificial power that that gun gave you during that time. It might have saved you today, but now you carry it all the time, expecting danger all the time. You know what I mean? And it's the only way that you find power. It's the only way that you feel powerful and how powerless that actually is. Right. And it's just like, so you know, just understanding, like personifying the gun and understanding how it changes your decision-making process. All of this stuff is really a part of, you know, things that are really important to Frank and Andrea and I um, when doing this work with young people. And I think just understanding the systems that have been created to make people feel powerless, right? And, um, and the need to like pick up a gun um, to feel powerful, how real that is and how human it is and how much we actually can do as a society to make sure that young folks feel like they can thrive in spaces without guns, you know? I really like what you're highlighting because at the end of the day, guns shouldn't be associated with this sense of power because you feel powerless as an individual. And so I think that really highlights back to what Frank was saying about just looking at how these systems are repeatedly failing our youth and repeatedly harming our youth. With that said, something that I was very, I did look through the New Yorkers Against Gun Violence and something that I was kind of curious about is when you work, when you both work with youth versus when you work with adults, are there different common misconceptions that come up about gun violence? Are there similarities? Do they differ? How does that kind of work? Um, yeah, I think as a whole, right, depending on what age you are, misconceptions are, 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 are pretty somewhat similar across the board, right? Like most folks think that um, people kill each other more than folks kill themselves, right? So that's a conversation. People don't know the homicide as high it is, especially in the United States, right? But I think the difference is that um, adults are um, a lot less malleable, right? Um, they're more so hardened in their way. So I do think um, youth of, often offer solutions, right, that are rooted yeah. um, in the imagination, right? Um, they, they haven't been as hardened by society for 20, 30, 40 years, right? So um, speaking to them, right, you get a lot more creative solutions to um, how they have been around for a long time. I think that sometimes with, with adults, they've accepted um, the world that, that we live in and figure it'll be this way until I die, right? But, um, but youth um, definitely are, are a bit more willing to push boundaries, right? And to push back on certain things. So that, I think that's the core difference without um, getting too specific um, on... Yes. But that's the core difference between them working with youth and, and working with adults. It's a lot harder for adults to budge. I agree. And I, you know, that makes me think about um, just a little bit more about like how that shows up in our spaces. I think, um, you know, young people are able to understand what powerlessness actually feels like in a different way. I think that adults don't want to feel powerless. No one wants to feel powerless, but adults don't want to feel powerless so much so that they don't really want to talk about the amount of uh, of power guns actually give them, right? Mm -hmm. So everything is about personal choice. You know what I mean? Like, yes, this is happening. Yes, this is going on in my community. Yes, this is going on in my family, but I have a choice of whether or not I want to pick up a gun. And of course you have a choice. Yes, but the, I think it's really important to understand what these young people are choosing from, right? And I think young people are, are, are um, a little bit more open to talk about the choices that they're making, right? Versus young, versus the adults just saying like, you know, 
make good decisions, make better decisions, and not really wanting to address the fact that, you know, racism is a part of the decisions that they're making. The criminal justice system is a part of the decisions that they're making. Homelessness and like um, broken families, all these things are part of the decisions um, and, the, and the hardship that young people are, you know, are seeing when making these decisions. So, um, and, and, and that's important, right? Because if a person can't identify what has caused them to actually do some of the things that they're doing, right? Then they, we can't really talk about real solutions, right? Record stuff. You know, so I think young people are a lot more acceptance of like really accepting at really figuring out what the root causes are, um, even if it makes you feel powerless, right? Like, even if it makes me feel powerless saying that something that I can't control has some control over me. You know what I mean? Like, I think young people can say that a lot easier than, you know, than adults. Shame that just now you remind me of something, right? Um, I will say this not to invalidate that adults can't feel powerless, right? But I do think that um, the level of powerlessness is more real and everyday for young folks because I think it's tested by their peer group, right? Um, I think mm-hmm. it's more in their face every day. I think that adults have learned to live with whatever they've been dealing with and, and bottle it up for so long, right? Young folks, um, you go to school, right? You may sit with somebody who has more than you, right? You may you may sit next to someone who's more like, who, who's, who you think is smarter than you, right? Who you think probably is more, more attractive, who you think probably gets more money, right? So I think, so I think um, you, there's so many things, I mean, I think in, in your everyday experience, right, that make you feel positive this, that, that you're more willing to, to speak to it, right? While adults, after a while, you know, you go to school, you graduate, all the things that that we kind of look at as not as important, I think that folks begin to not think about it as much. With kids, it's very real, right? From from 13 to, to 20, how you are viewed by your peers mean everything to you, right? So 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 I think um I think that's part of the reason why they're able to speak to this more, right? And also open solutions to, to how to and be more vulnerable, well, like how this feels, right? Um and, and how it feels how it feels to not have power. Absolutely. Thank you for that friend. When COVID happened and we were all stuck in our houses and I know there was a lot of kind of advocacy and awareness of domestic violence and how that impacted survivors who were stuck with their abusers. And I know that a lot of gun violence happens in the home. So what was that like for you all? How did that shift or impact your advocacy that you do with New Yorkers Against Gun Violence? Well, this is a hard question to answer and for a lot of different reasons, but I will first say, unfortunately, you know, Frank and I, well, our organization lost an amazing young person um, to domestic violence. She was killed, um, her older sister, her mom as well, by her stepfather um, during the time when we were doing remote learning. She was both in our middle mentorship program and our reaction program. So, you know, I like it's important for us not to think about these things and blame ourselves because clearly like you can't, but I, there's so much of me that feels like if I was to see, if I was seeing her in person, then I might have been able to connect with her in a different way um, than I was able to connect with her online. Um, but, and, and, but, you know, something else that kind of like stood with me is the idea that without our organization, without this program, a lot of our students would, would not have had any live interaction with educators, with their instructors, with their friends, with the other students in the school, right? So, you know, I think, you know, Frank talks about this a lot, like human connection is extremely important, especially when you feel powerless, right? You, it's hard to feel powerless and also feel alone. 
And I think that like the space that we are creating is, it, yes, we're doing gun violence prevention work, but we're also creating community. And that is extremely important for young people who don't necessarily feel like they have community in other spaces. Um, so I think, you know, for us, you know, a lot of things has changed as to, you know, how we are going to continue to do our program. But I think, um, if anything, it really confirmed the fact that, you know, people who uh, were disproportionately affected by COVID were also people who are disproportionately affected by gun violence, right? Like at the end of the day, all of these things align. These are our people. These are the people who need the community. These are the people who need to continue to do this work. So thank you for that question, but I will say it's been hard. Um, and, you know, obviously domestic violence um, really, you know, reared his ugly head a lot more during COVID, you know? Yeah, um, all, all things well said, um, Shayna, um, um, some great, all great points touched on. Um, I think during the panel, right, a question came up about like the link between disinvestment and gun violence, right? And I'm like, if there were ever any doubt of what like poverty um, and disinvestment do to gun violence, last year we've had um, the most gun deaths in US history, right? Um, we're at 44,000, right, roughly. Um, that's about 4,000 more than the previous record, right? Um, so it's no coincidence that, um, and most of those, most of those um, gun deaths um, are from latter year on, right? So from, from about May on, right? Mm -hmm. was, was, was basically in its peak. So I think as we've seen, um, there, there are folks who were like on the cusp of, of making it, not making it, who um, automatically was thrust into poverty, right? You have people who were isolated in, in, in their houses forever, right? You had um, after school programs cut, you had like kids who may pay sports cut, you had schools not opening, um, not, not in person, not doing formal um, formal teaching. Um, you had and you have some services like 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 some youth, right? Something that keeps youth occupied and put money in pocket completely halted, right? So all these things I think I think combined and, and it made a disaster, right? Um so so yeah, so it was it was it, it was just us realizing as an org um what happens on a regular basis when it's not COVID, um, how our youth are suffering and how vulnerable they are to um to, to gun violence is, is already tough. But to know that um to see like, excuse me, like, but to see a shit storm coming, right? And not being able um, to really do much about it because like, this is just, this is unfortunate, was, was even harder. And yeah, like, and our classes, right? What it does is, yes, we teach kids a lot of things that, um, that help them other classes, but I think most importantly is kids get space to vent, right? Um, especially online, sometimes you aren't even being teachers. Um, there's, a, there's an assignment on Blackboard, right? You turn it in, right? Um, no one's really helping you. And you have forever turn in. No one knows what you're doing from 8 a.m. To, to the rest of the day, right? So you could be really, really going through it, right? Some folks, um, their biggest issues is being home. They use school as their relief, as their getaway, right? Getting on the bus, seeing folks, seeing their friends kind of is kind of what keeps them going. Now you're stuck with you're stuck like for 24 hours with the same issue that you were trying to run away from. So um so yeah, so it, our jobs were a lot tougher, right? And that's why we think that us being in schools remotely was a necessity because even if it's, it's one day a week, it's one day a week where kids, um, they feel seen, they feel heard, um, they're speaking to folks who, who are talking to them, who are asking them other questions besides, did you handle your English assignment, right? Or did you handle your math assignment, right? So um, yeah, COVID was a tough time just knowing how, um, how, how the, disproportionately impacted um, 
our, our, our demographic is by gun violence and regular and was by COVID. It was tough, but um, but I think it kind of reinforced the necessity of, of, of our program and program like, like ours. Thank you both for sharing that. I'm very sorry to hear about your loss. Um, please let me know if there's any way that I can support. Um, kind of going off of everything that both of you have said, there's kind of a, a main theme that kind of runs through everything we talked about, being seen, heard, and empowered as one of the ways to give kids other options and one of the ways so that they feel seen, so that they don't feel the need to pick up a gun to feel powerful. I want to kind of wrap up our discussion with taking everything that we've talked about in terms of interdisciplinary assistance to fight against uh, gun violence, um, human connection. I think Frank, you had said that, a connection between humanity, ability to connect with an individual for them to be seen. So I wanna take all these different things that we've talked about and ask you if I said, I want you to radically, radically, in air quotes, reimagine the future of your choosing. And this world can look like whatever you would like it to look like. What would it look like? Oh, girl. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the question I think we'll miss Andrea the most because this is like. This, this is her question. This is her, her, her life. Um, so I, I really. A purpose, yeah. I perspective on this right back we can we we'll try um do you want to go to first Anna, or you can go first i gotta think a bit yeah it's 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 tough right um it's football is loaded right um so if radical change right um so i mean in the ideal world um all these isms that impact us wouldn't impact us right um that's one right so a lot a lot of the most heinous things we've seen throughout history wouldn't have just in the first place right um but now that we're we're here, right? Um, I think that as a whole, everyone needs to, um, I think folks need to understand what happens when, when certain things are neglected, right? That's a whole, right? So I think folks need a foundational understanding. And um, if, if certain things happen, you you can rest assured that certain negative outcomes will happen as well, right? That's that's one. Um, a lot of the systems, um, this is this is this is Andre's influence on me, right? A lot of the systems that impact folk, right? Or uh, or institutions that are here to kind of help or give justice um, have tried to be reformed time and time again, right? Mm. And reform may not be the answer, right, for certain things. Andre would tell you that, Andre will Harlem tell you that certain systems need to be- Transformed. Transformed, right? Um, justice needs to be transformed, right? Certain systems need to be halted and upended, right? Um, because the way that, the course that we're going on doesn't work, right? Um, and, and hasn't worked for a very long time, right? And if, there was evidence that it was working, then our situation wouldn't be getting worse, right? Because because gun violence was the worst this year, right? Um, other things are the worst. Um, we still have the most prison, prison population in the world, right? So, um, a lot of institutions needs needs to be taken a look at, and folks need to upend them, right? I wonder what things are, are working and what's not working. And when we when we ask that question, we see that most of it um isn't working, right? Um, and so that's yeah. So radical change needs to be first admitting that these systems that we trust so wholeheartedly for centuries are not working, right? That's the first step um, in, in, in radically changing, um, changing the world, right? These aren't working, um, it's not, right? And and larger part is they weren't intended to work, right, for certain folks. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, I don't know, I think, I don't know where, where does this interview question happen? Does it happen right, right in the beginning of transformative justice or it happens 
45 years after transformative justice has happened, right? So like where like what like what world are we looking at? The one that we can actually create in 50 years or have created 150 years from now. I mean, like for me, it just looks like healing. Like it looks like healing. You know what I mean? And I know that that sounds like crazy and weird. And it's just like, well, what does that look like? But like it looks like being able to talk about our past. <laughs> like what we've done to each other, what we've done to survive, what we've done out of the name of capitalism, what we've done out of, out of the name of power and fear, all of those things. Like, it looks like being able to have holistic, honest, truthful, hard conversation and spaces. And to me, the only thing that comes out of that is love and community. And you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like there's so much we can, to me, when I think about the perfect world, I just think about a community. I just think about community. I feel like we are taking care of each other's children. We are growing crops. We are, you know, working in a way where not necessarily like working in the way that like everybody's job and careers are attached to each other. So if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, you can't do what you need to do. Like, I just see a system where everything aligns because there's so much community and we are, we're so invested in each other in the healing of our our world that that's just what happened so I mean and you know of course Andrea has like made us all feel like we have to <laughs> change everything and start all over again but I think it has a lot to do with this idea of the fact that we've created so many systems that even if Frank and I believe one thing and we get a couple of other people to actually understand like what justice looks like and what peace looks like it won't matter because these systems still exist so like for me it's like we got to start over. Like we have to start over like everything, like first education, <laughs> like you got to figure out like our school system. Like, what does that look like? We got to figure out, uh, you know, what, what it looks like to, 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 to where people are living. We got to figure out how people are eating, what they're learning, where they're living and what they're eating. Like we figure out those three things first and then we can move on. Like, you know what I mean? I just feel like, you know, people should have access to healthy food. People should have access to a, a safe place to live. People should be able to learn their history. All of us, our history, because it's ours, all of us. You know what I mean? So that's what I see when I think of like a world that is safe and peaceful. Like that's where, that's what I see. I want to give a shout out to Andrea <laughs> since she wasn't able to be here. So just for the record of this recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, Andrea. <laughs> Both of what you said, um, Shana and Frank, you guys tied up this whole interview basically in a beautiful bow. Um, the first thing that we kind of opened up with was talking about that a lot of the issues that are the root of gun violence are systemic. All the isms, as Frank put it. And so I kind of got, I took a quote from what you had said before, Frank. Foundational understanding that the systems we have trusted wholeheartedly are not working and that they weren't intended to work for some people. And I think that that um, right there kind of just, yeah, concretely puts the ideas that we had in the first part. And then in terms of the second half, next to systemic change is working on community, transformative justice. I loved how you put it, healing, being able to talk about our past, we're living a life where we don't, we aren't focused on just survival and then not doing everything in the name of fear. So I think those are kind of our two main ideas from today's discussion, systemic change and community building. 
I want to thank you both for being here with me. We're happy to be here. Thank you. And I know for a fact we would have loved doing this in person. All right. Um, I do wish our time at Denver was was longer, right? Because that would have been amazing. That would have been an amazing high, right? To go from class, master classes to panel to interview, right? Um, 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 it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but hopefully um, we are back in Denver um, with you all very soon. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Rage Podcast. The Rage Podcast is a product of the Interdisciplinary Research Institute for the Study of Inequality. For more information about us and the work that we do, please visit irise.du.edu. To ensure that we can continue to bring you quality content, please be sure to subscribe or follow, like, and share on the platform that you're listening to us on. Once again, this is the Rage Podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in.